Well, good morning. It is so good to see you. Thank you for coming today. Welcome to Providence Church. Uh, my name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here, and we have been so excited for this weekend for some time. We've been in a season, I'm hoping it just continues, uh, called Jesus Changed My Life. And our prayer for this, uh, for this series, where we've just been looking at instances where people's lives were changed by Jesus, is that there would be people in our community, in our church, uh, that would say yes to Jesus. And that, that coming out of this, there'd be people that would just kind of walk around saying, Jesus changed my life. Jesus changed my life. It's that simple. On Thursday night, we had a service of baptism and recommitment where we had over 80 people that were signed up to come and say yes to Jesus. Um, but God surprised us and ended up being over 100 people. I, don't, I lost count. He kept coming forward. <laughs> We had these folks come that had no idea that night that they were going to get wet. <laughs> People in blue jeans and sweaters coming in the tub, jumping over the top here. I think I broke a few ribs. Um, some of those guys were big, and it's like they were baptizing me. I was like, I'm the pastor, man. I'm in charge of um, how people go in and out of the tub. But it was just amazing. Fathers got in the tub with their sons. Neighbors stood with neighbors, married couples who were struggling came forward together and asked Jesus to help them. And um, we all left that night, you know, wet, water on our heads, our t-shirt soaked, or embraced somebody who had, who had gone under the water. It was really, really incredible night. And so this morning, I just want you to begin thinking about, is this a day for you to say yes to Jesus? whether that be something you've never done before, or you just know like you're in a place, you're in a season where you need healing. You need the Holy Spirit to come and fill every part of your broken heart. You need a marker in your life. In our last service, we had a man dressed in a suit, an older man who came forward and, and told me that five weeks ago he had lost his wife and he needed Jesus. He stood before this church and said, this is my, you know, this is my moment. So, I just want you to think about today your identity, like the things that you take on in your life that tell you who you are. Some of you had some things said to you a long time ago, and you made that your identity. You just kind of made that, that's my thing, that's who I am. Others of us, we had something done to us a long time ago, and it, it became a part of our identity. It became our identity, that maybe we weren't good enough or, or, or we were not worthy and so I want you to think about those labels that you've put on in your life that you may be carrying with you. And today, begin to think about what would it mean to have a new identity, your true identity, which is in Jesus. I started thinking this week of some of the identities that, uh, things I identified with as a kid. You know, these early things that I took on as a boy, a little boy growing up in this area. So here's a few of them. I was a Gladeville Elementary School Gator. That was a big part of my identity. I went to school there. Any Gators here today? Yeah, Ben, thank you. Just one. That's amazing. No, I see you. I see you. Uh, it's an elite group. Uh, 
but you know, as your kid, you take things on. I was a Cub Scout. I was a little brother. I was an Armstrong. It was a small town. People knew my family. I, you know, I was an Armstrong. And then I began to take on things that some people said about me, just, you know, just like something that somebody said. And then suddenly that becomes your identity. So in elementary school, I, this guy, I remember somebody called me a nerd. And then I thought that I was a nerd. You know, I know now I was a boy genius. Uh, but, you know, in that moment, you take this thing, thing on. I, uh, I, I, t- I took on this identity, um, really, because I was so into it. I took on an identity that I just wasn't quite good enough at basketball because a coach told me that. Not verbally, he just cut me year after year after year, and it became kind of a part of who I am. But I, I, there were some other you know, things. In my home, this was my story. Um, this was a part of my identity. I was loved. I was cherished. I was safe. Uh, and then when I was 12, I was sick. I had this short period of time. Some of you here today are sick. You have a disease. You have an ailment. And you know how that can become a part of your identity, right? That can be something you, that's a part of who you are. When I was 12, I got sick. I was on a field trip with my confirmation class from church. Uh, confirmation is a class some churches do. Our, ours did. Providence does. Sixth, seventh graders, where they learn more about their identity in Christ. They learn what it means to be a part of the church, that, that kind of thing. And so we were on a field trip to a Jewish synagogue in downtown Nashville, and I got sick, like really sick. I had this fever come upon me. Um, I started feeling all this pain in my body. Um, my parents, they had to call my parents to come and get me. Uh, the next day, they took me to the doctor. I was worse. I had this almost... Uh, this pain in my back that was so bad that my legs weren't working right and almost uh, a paralyzed kind of thing. And so he took me to my pediatrician that I'd gone to my whole life and he was very concerned. He set it up for us to immediately go to the hospital. And I had this thing rising up in me, and so, uh, this question. And so I asked my doctor, my childhood doctor, I said, this is what I was feeling. I said, am I going to die? I, said, I felt that bad. And he said, I remember his quote. I can actually remember the tone of it. He said, Jacob, I don't think you're going to die. I was hoping for a simple no. You know, it's just like, you doctors are so dang realistic. You know, I get it, but just a kid, man. Um, And I took on an identity that day that I carried, that I have carried for a long time. And it's this, I'm afraid. I felt this fear grip me. And so we went to the hospital and I had all these tests and MRIs and scans, you know, and uh, they're trying to figure it out. I lost a lot of weight. I felt this terrible pain. My pastor came and visited me. People from the church were praying for me. Uh, and they, they determined that I had some type of uh, what's called myelitis, which some people in our church have had. And uh, I was going to be sent home on an IV, miss the rest of the school year and throughout the summer, and hopefully be able to go back the next uh, school year. And then the day before I was supposed to go home, I got better. My fever went away. All my pain went away. And I was just sort of a weakened, skinnier version of my 12-year-old self. And my family and I quietly claimed a new identity. We didn't really voice it to anybody, but it was this. I was healed. And then just a few days later was the Sunday that my confirmation class would come in front of the church and I was, was gonna be asked if I would profess my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I had been baptized as an infant and I had never stood before anyone and said, this is what I believe. But I was ready. 
And, and so my parents, I remember I put on a clip-on tie, and my mom and dad stood on either side of me because I was still needing to be steadied, and they walked me up to the front of the church. It's sort of a foggy memory, but I remember the pastor asking me these big questions. Do you repent of your sin? Asking a 12-year-old. Do you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And then I knelt before the church, and I remember what the, the weight, I remember how the weight of the pastor's hands felt on my head and my parents' hands on my shoulders when he prayed for the Holy Spirit of God to fill me and confirm in me a decision that I had made as a 12-year-old boy. And I left that day with a new identity that I've carried with me since 1993, and it's this. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the son of God. I believe that he was crucified on the cross for my sins. I believe that he went to the tomb for three days, and when they went to go look for him, three days later, he was risen from the grave. I believe that he showed up to his friends behind locked doors and said, look at the scars in my hands. Touch this place where the spear went in. And I believe that he ascended into heaven. And I believe that the Holy Spirit that conquered sin and death on the cross still lives in Jesus and in me. It's a big identity, but that's who I am. That's who I am. And so it doesn't matter what somebody has said about me. It doesn't matter that a coach was really wrong. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff because that's who I am. I'm a Christian. I've got a picture of my confirmation class. Some of you guys are in here. Uh, that's me there, the <laughs> strapping handsome boy with the enormous glasses. What I want to do today is read you a scripture. It's a really simple message today. I want to read you a scripture, and I want you to think about your identity, okay? It's Acts chapter 8, and it says this. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip was a disciple of Jesus. Philip was one of the first followers of Christ. Philip was one of the very early leaders of the early church. What's significant about Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8 is it's where we hear about Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the first person to be killed because they said their identity was, I am a believer. So what I'm trying to say is that Philip's identity in Christ was kind of like a big deal. It wasn't sort of like today, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Christian. It was like he's a follower of Christ and his life was on the line. And so an angel of the Lord tells him to go to, towards Africa, and he does. It says, so he started out in verse 27, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, verse 28, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, just like a normal Ethiopian, just have a big scroll with Isaiah. That's not normal, okay? This is a crazy story. This, this official, this high-ranking official from Ethiopia who would have grown up a Gentile, not a believer in, in our God, somehow was curious about or had been converted to Judaism. He has the means to make this long journey to Jerusalem where he worships, but probably would not have been welcomed into the temple worship because he was an Ethiopian and because he was a eunuch. And so he's now traveling back, and he just so happens to have the scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading the scriptures, and it's in that moment, verse 29, it says, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot. The chariot's moving, right? He's next to the chariot. He hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he says, do you, do you understand what you are reading? And the guy in the chariot says, how can I, 
unless someone explains it to me. And so he invites Philip to come and sit in the Ethiopian chariot with him. They roll out the scroll of Isaiah across their two laps, and they start reading it together. These next two verses are a quote from the book of Isaiah. This is what the Ethiopian eunuch was reading on his chariot as he was traveling back home to Ethiopia. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Can you understand why he didn't understand it? It's hard to understand. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? So he's asking him, is Isaiah talking about Isaiah? What is Isaiah talking about? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip began with the book of Isaiah. Why? That's where he was. That's what he was looking at. He said, the sheep led to slaughter. Okay, the the one who went before the judge and was humiliated but would not open his mouth. The one who was killed but was not deserved to be killed. Philip says, that's Jesus of Nazareth. The one that I follow, my Lord. Your Lord, Caesar is Lord. No, my Lord is Jesus. Everything I do is under obedience to him. He died on the cross for my sins. Three days we thought he was dead, but some of our people, some of the women went to the tomb and they said it was empty and we didn't believe them. We didn't believe them. We ran down and saw it for ourselves, but we still thought somebody stole the body, but he showed up to us behind closed doors. We had the doors locked. It was like, we don't know how he got in there. And he said, you can touch my hands and you can touch my side. And Philip said, I believe that Jesus is the one Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah that you all are still worshiping in Jerusalem has already come to earth. And that is the one who will save your life. And I'm making up what I think Philip said, but what we know happened in the Ethiopian's heart is his heart began to change. Something began to move in him so much so it seems like maybe they were talking about baptism. The reason I say that is the next verse says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Now, religious people have always been good about lifting up all the reasons that, you could, that could stand in the way. That was sort of the deal. And the Ethiopian eunuch would have had a number of reasons why he would think he couldn't be included in the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's Messiah. But Philip said, This is revolutionary, guys. If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Just in that moment. And he, that's the Ethiopian eunuch, gave orders to stop the chariot. Stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. This is Rembrandt's depiction of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I just think it's cool (laughs) that somebody's like, that's a crazy story. Ever since that happened, people said, that is a crazy story. It's, it's doing something in my heart. A great artist says, I want to paint a picture of it. And what I want to do for the rest of our time is think about some things in this story that I think apply to your life. That's really crazy. 
some things in this story that I think apply to every person who might want to say yes to Jesus, to be baptized or maybe to, to make a recommitment to say, uh, there are some things that happen in the story that happen every time somebody is thinking about the waters of baptism and giving their life to Christ. So I wanna share a few of them with you. The first is this, the spirit is active. The Holy Spirit of God is doing stuff. Philip, why are you going towards Gaza? An angel told me to. Philip, why are you running next to the chariot listening? The spirit told me to, urged me to, moved me to. And every time that something's going on where people would say yes to Jesus, you can see that the spirit is acting, okay? Um, This is not a human act in a human organization. It's a spiritual act in a spiritual community of people that believe. And so if things like right now are kind of like, ooh, what are we talking about? It's spiritual, right? I'm not talking about normal stuff. I'm not talking about earthly stuff. I'm talking about supernatural stuff. I'm talking about the spirit world. And there are people, normal people, who live in Mount Juliet and Smyrna and all these other places who experience the activity of the spirit. And so if you're experiencing that, pay attention, right? Pay attention. The, the spirit moves and the spirit does things. And, and, and so uh, we have to, this is not something that we're used to doing because we got so much stuff going on in our lives. We have to be attentive to the activity of the spirit. In baptism, we get this mixed up. The primary actor is God. The primary one acting is God. I told this huge crew of people, 100 people on Thursday night, they were filling these wings. They all had shirts on that looks like this. They had come ready. And I was like, man, we are here. You are courageous. We applaud what you're doing. We're going to cheer as you do this. But do not mistake and think that you are the one doing the main thing right now. God is the one who's doing something tonight. And you are responding to it. So the spirit is active and the person is seeking the person is seeking out God. The Ethiopian eunuch is like, he could be doing all kinds of other stuff, right? He could have been on his, on his phone, on Facebook, been playing Candy Crush, whatever. You know, I, I know Candy Crush isn't a thing anymore. We'll tell that to my wife, okay? She has hung on to that. Like, hey, baby, you want to talk? No. Uh, so, um, but the Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading Isaiah. He doesn't understand it, but he's seeking He's seeking. And, and so he, he's trying to pay attention to what the Spirit is doing. Notice this. He doesn't, though, have full understanding. In baptism, there isn't full understanding. Pastor Mark and I have been talking recently. We've both been in ministry as pastors for about 20 years. So we're like having our ministry midlife crises and we're talking about stuff. And I was thinking about how, man, I can't believe I've been baptizing people for almost 20 years. Guess what? The spirit is always active, always in baptism. The spirit is active. If not, it's some kind of uh, rote thing that it's not really what it needs to be. The, The spirit is active, always. Always the person is seeking, always. God's acting and the person is seeking. And then as far as I can tell, just done this 20, just done this 20 years, every time I've baptized someone, they have not had a full understanding of what they're doing. Hang with me. On Thursday night, the youngest person we had come forward was six The oldest was 88. Um, Evelyn was the six-year-old's name. Amazing little girl. Pastor Mark met with her, and she was ready to be baptized. But so often, almost every time, and it's usually the parent will say, they don't fully understand this. They couldn't fully understand this, right? And I say, right. They don't fully understand it. I'll get to what's actually happening. 
Our 88-year-old is a guy named Dick Erdman. He comes to our 8 o'clock service. He sits right there. I knew he was 88 because he had his birthday last week. And uh, uh, Dick was uh, baptized as an infant, as a five-month-old, in our Savior Lutheran Church in Greeley, Colorado, in March of 1931. But he also came forward at the end of last week's service. Remember when we were looking at Nicodemus? An old man who'd been in the church a long time, but, ooh, something was happening in his heart. Dick came forward to me, and he said, I was baptized as an infant in 1931, but I want to be born again. (laughs) And Dick Erdman has lived a distinguished life. I I can tell you all of his accolades. He served in the military, amazing guy. But he doesn't have a full understanding of the spirit world. So what's happening? there is a confession of belief. In baptism, there is a confession of belief. The person believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what the Ethiopian said. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible says that if we uh, believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead and we say with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so we see this heart belief and this confession, Jesus is Lord, and you are saved saved. The water of baptism symbolizes what's happening in that confession. In that confession, we're saying, I repent of my sin. I'm a sinner. I turn from my life of sin, and I need something to come and cleanse me, regenerate me, and send me out. And so the water is just kind of, it's a symbol of a a way of doing that. What's so cool about this story in Acts chapter 8 is we see that someone else has to help you to the water. Someone has to help you to the water. This story shows us that we have to have someone help get us there. And what that is, guys, is a picture of the church. It's a picture of this, right? Why are you here? I, got it. I need some people to do this with, right? And they, the Ethiopian eunuch would have never made it just reading Isaiah in his chariot. And you will never make it just reading Isaiah in your chariot. Right? What did he need? He needed someone to help him, and God sent someone to help him. He's running next to the chariot. The Spirit has set the whole thing up. The Spirit was working long before the Ethiopian eunuch even was traveling home. The Spirit is whispering to Philip, go down to Gaza. He goes. The Spirit is there when he opens up the scroll and says, I don't know. I don't have full understanding. It's moving in my heart some way, but I don't understand the sheep being led to the slaughter. I don't understand what it means that he was humiliated, but he did not open his mouth. I need some help. And Philip's like, hey, what you reading up there? God set the whole thing up. And Philip jumped up in the chariot and said, here's what this means. Let me show you what this is. You don't have to have it. And he began to tell him the good news of Jesus Christ using the prophecy of Isaiah. And the Ethiopian's heart was transformed, regenerated by the power of the Spirit. And he said, look, here's some water. What's going to keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, let's go, buddy. And then we see in baptism there is rejoicing. When the Ethiopian was baptized, the scripture said he left rejoicing. And guys, that's the correct response to seeing somebody's life changed by Christ. It's a high five. It's a clap. It's a cheer. It's tears of joy because your husband's getting in the water. It's tears of joy because your daughter who you've been praying for is saying yes to Jesus. There's rejoicing that happens. And I know that we're in a, in a messed up world. And there's all kinds of reasons why we could leave here with crusty hearts and be cynical and, and look into a negative spiral. 
but instead the people of God are being called up above that to rejoice because we know the one that went to the cross and rose from the grave. He's changed our hearts, and now we see him changing other people's hearts, and so we say, praise God, this is amazing, hallelujah. I'm so pumped about it, I can't even contain myself. (laughs) I think you wanted to clap, and I just want you to do it, okay? (laughs) I get it, guys, I get it. Like. I'm a stodgy old church person too, man. I went to confirmation. I don't know how to do this, but God's doing a work and I want to celebrate it. And so when you see this list of things that's happening in Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch story, if you see one of those that's happening in your life, pay attention. If you're like, yeah, the spirit is working in my life. He's active. The spirit's active. I can't quite explain it. Pay attention then. If you're like, yeah, I am seeking. This is my fifth time here. I don't know why I keep coming back. You're seeking. But I want to speak to a select group right now. Pay attention. I want to speak to a select group right now. And that is those of you in this room for whom every one of those things is happening in your life right now, okay? And if you are that person, you need to come forward today, Okay? If you say, if you can see the spirit is acting in my life, if you say, I'm seeking, if you're like, I don't fully understand it, but I confess, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he's the one who died for my sins. If that's you, we'll help you get in the water. We'll help you get in the water. This is so cool. Last year, I went to Israel with my wife, Rachel, and my mom and dad. These three people have been like the constants in my whole life. I know that's weird. You're like, you've known, you've been your wife your whole life? Yes, everything's legal. It's cool. Um, But I have known her since I was like two years old. Like, she's a constant. And so I got to go walk in the Holy Land with Rachel and my mom and dad. And we went to the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. It's on the other side of Jerusalem from where Philip and the Ethiopian were. And as we were approaching, uh, you know, we we're in the, the van headed that way. My mom asked me, she said, she said, Jacob, will you help me remember my baptism in the Jordan River? Now, you got to understand, my mom has never left my side. We live next door to my mom. It's complicated. You know what I mean? It's like, this is really close. My mom sat in that chair in the hospital with me when I was 12. And what I noticed, what I remember noticing as a 12-year-old is that she didn't go home at night. My mom was on the other side of the glass when I had my first MRI and my first panic attack. My mom sat with me when doctors explained hard to understand concepts. My mom took my arm and walked me up to the front of St. Paul's United Methodist Church. So I I didn't have the strength on my own, but my mom walked with me so I could say, I believe in Jesus. And so one of the greatest moments of my life was helping my mom down the banks of the Jordan River and helping her go under the water as she said yes to Jesus. You see, baptism is not for those who have it all figured out. It's for people that are eager for Jesus, who confess him as their Lord, who recognize the Spirit's activity in their life and say, I don't have this fully understood, but there isn't anything that's gonna keep me out of the water because that's who I am. That's my identity. I'm a Christian. I believe. And so I want to offer this invitation to you today. If you know today that you need to say yes to Jesus and be baptized, you've never been baptized before, I want you to come forward this morning. During communion, uh, Mark and I will be standing over there, Regina. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and you can be baptized today. 
Others of you have been baptized before, but you know this is a moment for you where you need healing. You need the Holy Spirit to fill every crack in your heart because you're so broken and you're so mad and you're so cynical. And you need, you need, to, you need to release and receive what God wants to do in your life. There's others of you that are bound up in, in, in sin and things that, that have held you back and you need Jesus to forgive you. You need to say that he is Lord of your life and you need some water on you to symbolize it. And so we'll place water on your head or if you wanna go under the water, we will do that. I just want you to hear that invitation uh, and I'd love for you to just watch. We've got a minute or so of uh, the baptism service um, to prepare us for this time. knelt before them. I can remember the, the weight of the pastor's hands on my head and my parents' hands on my shoulders as he prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and fill my life, confirm in me this decision. And I took on a new identity that day, 1993. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm a follower of him. He's my Lord. I want to live in obedience to him. Scripture says, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? We've had people come forward all morning. I, it was crazy. Last service, I baptized some guy that was on the basketball team that I always wanted to be on. It was a hard thing, man. <laughs> this, believe, you won't get this. One of my Sunday school teachers from my, from my church that I grew up with came forward. She's lost her husband in the last little bit. She said, I need Jesus. She'd been baptized before, but she, it was a moment for her just to say, I need to, I need to mark this moment. I need some help. I need the Holy Spirit to come. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we pray you'd speak to, the, to the heart, our hearts. If there's someone who needs to be baptized who hasn't and they know they need to see, yes, give them the courage. If there's someone here who needs to recommit their life, remember their baptism and say yes to Jesus, give them the courage. If there are people that need to be freed from, from chains and from sin and from bondage, give them the courage to come forward. And as we come to the table of bread and juice, let it be for us the body of Christ broken for us. Let the juice be for us, his blood shed for us. We believe in this Jesus. We believe that he went to the cross for our sins. We believe he was three days in the grave, but it couldn't hold him because the Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit 
that conquered sin and death on the cross, busted through the grave, and now lives in us. And so we rejoice today with you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.